It's good to be here. It'd be good, great to keep Daniel uh, 10, 11 and 12 open because we're going to, uh, like Paul said, we're up to the end of Daniel and we're going to try and get through all the last three chapters this morning. And I'm sure you, you'll agree it's been uh, great working through Daniel, hasn't it? I've enjoyed it. It's been a terrific read. We've seen some wonderful things like Daniel rescuing Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego from the furnace. We've seen some great uh, visions and God-revealing mysteries. Uh, we've seen some crazy things like beasts coming out of the sea and a view into the throne room of God. And it all kind of culminated last week in chapter 9. It was a glorious vision in chapter 9. God promised Daniel that in seven sevens, a short period of time, he would put an end to the exile and he would bring his people back home to Jerusalem. And then he promised that after 62 sevens, a longer period of time, the anointed one would come, the Christ. And then in the last seven, the 70th seven, God said that the anointed one would be cut off. He'd die. But by his death, he would put an end to sin and he would bring in everlasting righteousness. It was a glorious vision of the future, a wonderful promise that God gave to, uh, made to Daniel. But did you notice how chapter 10 starts? Daniel isn't rejoicing in the glory of God's promise. In fact, far from it, he's in mourning. Have a look there, chapter 10 and verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food. No meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. So there's Daniel in mourning. And it makes you wonder, doesn't it, what has happened between these two chapters? What has got Daniel so sad that he'd give up choice food and meat and wine and moisturising cream for three weeks? Well, the answer's actually right there at the start of verse 1, the first six words. In the third year of Cyrus. The third year of Cyrus was a really tough year for a man like Daniel. See, in the first year of Cyrus, there was great news for the exiles in Babylon. Cyrus comes in, he takes over Babylon, he's a Persian king, and instead of keeping all the exiles enslaved in Babylon, he sets them free. That's what God said would happen in the seven sevens. The exile is over and 40,000 of God's people get to go home to Jerusalem. It's a time of great excitement and celebration and rejoicing. It seems like Israel's anguish is over. Their judgment is finished. Their troubles have been solved. And King Cyrus, you might remember, even goes so far as to send them back with building materials so as to rebuild the temple, the heart of their, of their life as God's people. But by the second year of Cyrus, things were not looking so good. You can read about it in the Old Testament book of Ezra. How when they had built the foundation of the temple, the people who remembered the old temple, the one that Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed, they see the foundation of the new temple and they just burst out crying. They weep because it's just not the same. And by the third year of Cyrus, the whole rebuilding project had ground to a terrible halt and it becomes very obvious that the return to Jerusalem wasn't the answer to all of Israel's problems. Sure, geographically, they're back in the land. 
Politically, they're no longer slaves and they're now ruling themselves, but spiritually, things were just not right. The temple hadn't been rebuilt. God wasn't back living with his people. And the sin that caused them to go into exile in the first place, it hadn't been atoned for yet. The third year of Cyrus was a really tough year for men like Daniel. And he had been through a lot. He had endured a lot. But here he is, nearing the end of his life. And he didn't go back with the exiles, probably because he's too frail by this stage to make the journey all the way back to Jerusalem. And so for Daniel, it seems like he's missed out on God's promises. He stays there in Babylon, but then to make matters worse, he hears the news about what's happening in Jerusalem and he's sad and he mourns. And it's in that moment that God gives Daniel a message. It's a message to a man who is on the verge of despair, struggling to keep going. And actually, at first glance, the message from God just seems to make things worse. Verse 1 says that the message was true and it concerned a great war. Doesn't sound like good news, does it? But the message goes on to say that after that great war, there will be an even greater deliverance. And so overall, the message here to Daniel is that because of that deliverance, you haven't missed out. Actually, in the end, you'll be raised back to life and you won't miss a thing. I'll keep all my promises to you. And so God's aim here in this vision, in this message, is to fill Daniel with courage so that he will keep going until the end. Now, the way that God gives Daniel this message is in a vision. Uh, In this vision, you'll be glad to know, there are no scary beasts coming out of the sea like there were in chapter 7. There are no rams or goats like there were in chapter 8. But there is a pretty weird-looking guy kind of floating above the Tigris River. Have a look at verse 4. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of the finest gold around his waist. His body was like chrysolite, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and his voice like the sound of a multitude." Pretty weird-looking guy. And this guy is frightening. And you can tell that because everyone else who's there with Daniel, they are overwhelmed with terror and they run away and hide. And Daniel goes white with fear and he falls down shaking on the ground. But God didn't send this guy to frighten Daniel. He sent him to strengthen and encourage Daniel. And that's what the messenger tries to do. Have a look at verse 18. Daniel says, The one who looked like a man touched me. And gave me strength. Do not be afraid, O man, highly esteemed, he said. Peace. Be strong now. Be strong. So this guy has come from God to strengthen Daniel and to encourage him. And now that he's done that, Daniel's ready to hear the message. Verse 19. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Speak, my Lord, since you've given me strength. And the first part of the message from this guy, it's about a great war. That's what chapter 11 is all about. And really, in lots of ways, there's nothing new in chapter 11. It's all stuff we've seen before. For instance, uh, the messenger starts by telling Daniel that there are going to be more Persian kings. Verse 2. Three more kings will appear in Persia and then a fourth. So that's what we saw with the ram back in chapter 8, isn't it? The Persian kingdom will be around for a while. And at the end of verse 2, it says that the Persian kingdom will come into conflict 
with the Greek kingdom, uh, and then a mighty king will appear. Verse 3. Then a mighty king will appear who will rule with great power and do as he pleases. After he has appeared, his empire will be broken up and parceled out toward the four winds of heaven. It will not go to his descendants, nor will it have the power he exercised, because his empire will be uprooted and given to others. Now, that is exactly what we saw with the goat back in chapter 8, remember? The goat came and it smashed the ram, that's the Persian empire, and it took control. That's the Greek empire. But when its big horn was broken off, uh, four more little horns came up in its place. Just saying the same thing here in a different way. And then from this point on, the messenger says to Daniel that there will be king after king after king after king and it will be like one great big war. So there will be kings from the south, verse 5. The king of the south will become strong. And there will be kings from the north, verse 9. The king of the north will invade the realm of the king of the south. And all these kings uh, will mobilise for war in larger and larger numbers. So verse 13, the king of the north will muster another army, larger than the first, and after several years he will advance with a huge army, fully equipped. And sometimes God's people will be caught up in these wars. They'll be caught in the crossfire like collateral damage. And at other times, these kings will deliberately fight against God's people. So look at verse 30. It's talking about the king of the north and it says, he will turn back and vent his fury against the holy covenant. That's saying that this particular king, he will take out his frustration and anger and vengeance against God's people. And the messenger even says that sometimes these proud and arrogant and God-hating kings will fight directly against God himself. Look at verse 36. The king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the God of gods. So the first bit of this message to Daniel is that there will be king after king after king. There will be cruel kings and there will be despicable kings. There will be kings from Persia and there will be kings from Greece. There will be kings from the north and kings from the south And history for God's people, it will just roll on and on, year after year, king after king, and it will be really hard and it will be really difficult because all these kings will be constantly at war and God's people will be caught up in that and it will be like one great big war. Now, that's not much of an encouragement for Daniel, is it? Like, how is that meant to strengthen him so that he will endure to the end? Well, fortunately, that's not the end of God's message to Daniel. In chapter 12, the messenger keeps on speaking. Chapter 11 has been all about a great big war. But now, in chapter 12, the messenger says that after that great big war, there will be an even greater deliverance. God will rescue his people from the distress caused by the kings and their wars. But even more than that, God will actually deliver his people even from death itself. Have a look at chapter 12 and verse 1. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth 
will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. See what that's saying? There will be a time of great distress, a great war, a time of hardship and opposition and persecution, a time of death. But after that, God's people will be delivered. They will be rescued even from death. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, it says. In other words, lots and lots and lots of people who've died will live again. And then in this vision, Daniel sees two other men standing on the banks of the river. And one of those guys asks in verse 6, how long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? It's a good question, isn't it? And in verse 7, the main messenger, the one floating above the river, he answers. He says, it will be for a time, times, and half a time. That's three and a half times. Now, what that messenger is saying is that this time of deliverance and rescue, it will happen right at the very end of the 77s that God talked about back in chapter 9. Remember back in chapter 9, God said there would be seven sevens and then there would be 62 sevens and then at the end there would be a 70th seven, a last seven. And now what we're seeing is that that last seven is being divided into two, three and a half and three and a half. That makes seven, right? And at three and a half, in that last seven, that's when God's people will be delivered, in the middle of the last seven which is exactly what God said back in chapter 9. Do you remember? He said that in the middle of the last seven, the anointed one would die. He would be cut off. And he would put an end to sacrifice. And he would put a stop to sin. And he would bring in everlasting righteousness. That is when God's people will be delivered. But for Daniel, in the third year of Cyrus, that is a really, really, really long way away. And so he wants to know what will happen to him. Will he miss out if he dies before then? In verse 8, he asks, My Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? And basically, the messenger says to him, Daniel, don't worry. Just go on your way. Live the rest of your life. You will die before that time comes. But at the end, you will be raised. And you will receive your inheritance. And you won't miss a thing. Just look at how the book ends. It is a wonderful, wonderful promise that God makes to Daniel. An old man, nearing death, who has spent nearly his whole life in exile, who didn't get to go back to Jerusalem and who knows he won't live to see the end. Look at what God says to him, chapter 12, verse 13. As for you, Daniel, go your way till the end. You will rest. In other words, you'll die. But then listen to this. And then at the end of the days... 
you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Isn't that terrific? God promises Daniel that despite everything that is going on, he won't miss out. He will receive his inheritance. He will receive everything that God has promised. God says to Daniel, you'll never miss out. Now, we're not told, but I'm sure that Daniel wasn't still in mourning by the end of this vision. In fact, I'm sure that he was encouraged to persevere and to go on his way till the end and to keep serving God continually because, once again, he has been reminded that God is in complete control, hasn't he? And that is what we have seen over and over and over and over again in Daniel. Remember way back at the start of the book in chapter 1, we saw that God is in control of world events. It was God who delivered the king of Jerusalem into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. And way back in chapter 1, we saw that God is in control of wisdom and he's in control of health. And along the way, we've seen that God is in control of history and he's in control of the future. And so that's why he can reveal mysteries and interpret dreams. We've seen that God is in control of kings and their kingdoms. He gives kingdoms to whoever he wants and he also takes kingdoms away. We've seen that God is able to save in ways that no other gods possibly can. Saving Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego from the furnace. Saving Daniel from the lions. We've seen that God hears and answers the prayers of his people. And here at the end of the book, we've seen that God is in control even of life after death. Right at the end of the book, the encouragement for Daniel is that God, who is in control of everything, is working things out toward a great and glorious future, a time when transgression will be finished, a time when sin will be no more, a time when wickedness will be atoned for, a time of everlasting righteousness. And the great encouragement for Daniel is that even if he dies before that time, God will raise him back to life again and he won't miss a thing. And so Daniel is urged to persevere, to hang in there, to go your way till the end. And you know, actually, the encouragement that Daniel gets here at the end of the book, it's a lot like the encouragement that we get at the end of the Bible. This book ends by encouraging Daniel to persevere, to hang in there because God is in control and because he's working everything out toward a glorious future. The whole Bible ends by encouraging us to persevere because God is in control and because he's working everything out toward the new creation. This is what it says in Revelation chapter 21. This is where God is leading us. This is what we've got to look forward to. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them and be their God. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. 
To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. And then this. He who overcomes, he who endures, he who perseveres to the end, he who overcomes will inherit all this. And I will be his God and he will be my son. Friends, that is our inheritance. That is what God promises to us at the end. So overcome, won't you? Persevere. Hang in there. Go your way till the end. Because if you do, you'll never miss out on that. Because it's like God said to Daniel. Go your way till the end. You'll rest. And then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you because you are in control and you are powerful and you are good. And we've seen that so many ways throughout Daniel. And it's really, really encouraging to see that you are even in control of death, of life and death and life after death. And so thanks for the encouragement uh, to Daniel that even though uh, he wouldn't live to see the end, actually he would live to see the end because you would raise him back to life and he would receive his inheritance and he would have everything that you promised, an end to sin and everlasting righteousness. And so, Father, we're thankful that because of what Jesus has done, because he died, because he was cut off, because he put an end to sin and because you raised him back to life from the dead, that we can be confident as well that in the end, whether we live or whether we die, that in the end you will raise us back to life as well and we won't miss out. We will receive all that you have promised us. And so, Father, help us to endure, please. Help us to keep trusting Jesus. Help us to go on our way till the end. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.